Hello and welcome to this week's BWB Extra, where we continue our conversation with Andy Hawkins, CPO of Business on Purpose, who breaks down what it takes to become a B Corp. He unpacks the mission and process and explains the five metrics used to measure a business's quality of activity, as well as giving some surprising cases in point. What types of business should consider becoming a B Corp? Do you have to have the full certification to be recognised as one? Where do you go and how do you start? Welcome to Mission B Corp. So it seems to me what you're saying is it's all about having a mission that isn't just about making money. Do you have particular kinds of business that come to you? Are there particular sort of sectors that settle more easily into the B Corp mould? Or is it sort of every walk of business? I think it's, it is every walk of business. There's over 70 business sectors that have B Corps from there. I think rather than a particular sort of business, it probably is more a particular sort of person mm. who's actually woken up and smelt the coffee and said, I'm running a business or I'm part of a business and potentially I'm part of the problem on this planet or am I part of the solution for this planet? And once people have woken up and smelt that particular coffee, a lot of them then don't really know what next. They kind of generally think we want to be using our business as a force for good. And what they then do and how they then do that is a question that a lot of them struggle with. And hopefully, you know, we'll help them put some flesh on the bones of of those questions and actually map out a way forward. And many of them doing it or do you think any of them are doing it because they want that B Corp certification because it looks good and it'll get them more business? Not many, but some might. But even those that do start from that, therefore, slightly sceptical mm. viewpoint, I think as they're going through the journey, they will become more enlightened as they go and actually end up at the end of the journey, you know, being a convert, really, rather yeah. than starting a bit of a sceptic. So. I do occasionally see posts on social media or on LinkedIn saying, you know, is B Corp just another framework, more purpose washing, more tip exercises. But of the, you know, 90 plus companies that I'm working with, I have absolutely not seen that. It's not just a tick box exercise. You do tick boxes, but it's not a tick box exercise. It's a lot of effort to go through, isn't it? If that's the only reason you're doing it. I think, you know, for the sake of the badge, it's a lot of effort just for the sake of the badge. People do it because they ultimately want their business to be a better, fitter, stronger, healthier business. Um, If I was going to go and run a 5K race for charity or not for charity, um, you know, I would, without a shadow of a doubt, have to be a lot healthier and a lot fitter than I currently am. And um, so, you know, the benefit of doing that Coach to 5K would be to ultimately help me as an individual be a better, fitter, healthier, stronger person. The fact that in a couple of months' time, I was then able to run a 5K and get a badge or a medal and say, I've completed that race, that's great. But the main benefit would be for me as an individual that I was a healthier person. And it's exactly the same with B Corp going through the process, going through the program, helps them become a healthier business, full stop. 
how, how much time? You said it takes a lot of time. So how much time does it take? Well, the 10-step program, which we use to run our companies through, uh, we run that across a three-month uh, process, uh, and it will take them, on average, two to three hours a week. One person, like, committed to it kind of thing. One person will probably head it up, almost, let's call it the B Corp project manager, and they might get the initial scores on the doors and answers in, in the boxes as they go through. But partway through, they will then open that up to the rest of the business and let them see what they've been doing. And we generally recommend that they then set up some working groups for each of the various different segments, just to make sure that different people from across the business have got eyes on it and to make sure that the person who is answering it has not been over-egging it or has not stretched themselves uh, sufficiently and, and they'll get a different set of eyes and ears on it. And also there'll be some things that are happening within the business that that one person is not even aware of. Uh, you know, some charity work that is taking place or different pro bono work that's happening. And so having a number of other people from across the business engage helps uh, make sure that you've got that broader aspect in place. Well, the other thing I was going to say is B Corp is very much about moving from shareholder primacy across to stakeholder engagement. So one person could answer all the questions, go through it, score the scores. But by doing that, they're really missing out on the point of engaging with other stakeholders in, in the business. And those stakeholders are their colleagues, their employees, but also their customers, uh, their suppliers. And to a certain extent, the planet is also a stakeholder in any business. Do you know, some of my... Um yeah, I mean, this is a US system. I've done a whole bunch of thoughts on it, just to be more sort of cynical about it in, in a way, is like the starting premises that are people, you know, shareholders that, you know, companies only care about. To be honest, a lot of the time, unless the shareholders are in the company, if you're not a big business, you, you have nothing to fucking do with them and you couldn't give two shits what they think, frankly. I in mean, fact, a, you're normally actively trying to stop them going Yeah, wrong. you just like <laughs> stay out of my fucking way. You gave me your money leave me alone, I'm getting on with it. Or you did X, you got shares, lucky you, leave me alone. And the people that you care about opinions are your stakeholders, are your customers, your suppliers, the people. So I think for a lot of people, you know, the, these trends come over. So the cynical bit is the premise is almost the start of, well, you, you businesses, you're bad and you only care about shareholders. But a lot of business people would sit and say, well, a lot of bullshit. I, that's not where I am. So why now, you know, I'm being sold like, oh, I've got to be a vegan and I've got to do a B Corp. And it's like, well, you know, I'm, I am a force for fucking good. I don't think those good. two things go together. I know, you I shouldn't put them together. To Sorry, vegan. vegan. But, it, you know, there's, there's these things that sort of come <laughs> along as a, a, a change and, how, you know, and you would say, well, I am a force for good. I care about the community. I employ people and stuff like that. I mean, what would you say to someone like that, I guess? I almost certainly agree with them. And I think, you know, all of the clients that I've helped are all in that camp, really. They do have uh, shareholders, but the majority of them uh, are small businesses. And the, you know, the founders are the people that are going through B Corp. And they are saying, I'm not needing to change an awful lot because this is who I am. I am a good person and I'm running a good business. And anyone can say that. If I said to any business person, do you think you run an ethical business? A hundred percent, I would say. I'm going to say, of course I do. Who are you to ask me that kind of question? But then when you ask them, well, how ethical are you? How do you know that? How have you measured that? How do you compare against others? And how are you able to improve on? 
No, but it does give you the opportunity, right, to drill down into what you're actually doing with your employees, what your how your relationship with the planet is, you know, whether you're being sustainable in the way that you make your product, for example. But hang on, this is a US thing, isn't it? So is it US culture that's going to say how I should be with my staff? Like, hey, man, you should be doing this. And, and it'd be like, well, that's not... Well, you have to use an American accent. It was a bad American accent, or yeah. Indian. Is it adjusted per country? So Because the staff are almost the biggest part, I would say. Um, they won't be, but as a starting place, that's mostly the biggest piece of people's business. What does it tell you you should be doing about staff? And is it adjusted culturally? Fundamentally, you should be looking after your staff as your main asset. And any any business owner will say, you know, my staff are my main asset and I do want to look after them. But as we all know, there are some businesses who look after their staff better than others. And so by going through this program, it really does bring attention to areas that you might not have even considered before and might want to consider. So we're not saying that anyone starting out on this business is a bad person and and doesn't care about their staff. But in the same way as I can go to my local supermarket and buy any one of 20 different types of tea bags, those with fair trade on the label, I know by buying those, somebody else outside of me has done a degree of external verification that in the manufacture of that tea, no people have been exploited. And there's a fairer share of the value chain uh, across everyone that's been involved. And therefore, I as a consumer want to buy that fair trade box of tea bags. And I think it's the same with B Corp. You know, any business can say we're a good business. You're bound to say that, aren't you? But I think by having gone through a B Corp journey to self-reflect how you're doing, where you can improve, and then subjecting yourself to an external audit team coming up with some evidence to say that's true, there's something really valuable in, in going through that. And it's got nothing to do with being American. You know, I've, I've helped American companies and Dutch and Polish and Brazilian companies, you know, so it does work with territories all around the world but ultimately are you being good to your employees but what does good look what does good look like take holiday you know people in america argue unlimited holiday is is that good or is it like no 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 you should only give them you know should you make them take their holiday is it that granular and what is does it it must have an opinion the framework does it it does have an opinion but in that because it's all about stakeholder engagement uh in coming up with what looks good for you, there's an engagement process that takes place with your employees, with your colleagues, to talk about what works for them. Now, uh, it's fair to say that you do score more points if you are giving more leave, but that is you know, one of about 30 points on just the workers' section. So if you're, I'll say, only giving 20 days annual leave, that doesn't mean by any means you can't be a B Corp. You can be a B Corp. You just might not score quite as many points on that section. And when you then engage with your workers and ask them what it is they want and how you can help support them and care for them, that might be one of the areas that you identify as an area for uh, thought or for improvement. So am I right in thinking, or did I make this up, that there are five sections? And they have to get 80 points overall or more than, ideally more than 80. To be certified. To be certified. Get a little logo. 
Yeah. Can you take us through the five different sort of metrics? Yeah, for sure. So the first section that we look at is the governance section. So it looks at who on the senior management team has got responsibility for people on planet, how they engage with uh, the rest of the business, what levels of corporate governance are in place, uh, how often do the board discuss that, is it something that is just verbally agreed or is there stuff that is in writing, what policies and processes have they got, how transparent they are, is there someone on the board with overall ultimate uh, ownership or responsibility? Is it just a nominal, you're looking after people and planet, or do they have certain key performance indicators that they're trying to uh, achieve? So the governance piece is, is the first piece and, and is almost certainly foundational to everything else that then happens. So that kind of single dictator running a business, however benevolent, is not going to really work. They've presumably got to have kind of a board that they are at least a little bit accountable to. Again, it's it's not it's not necessarily a showstopper. Uh, if you if you were a benevolent dictator and you treated all of your employees kindly, and you communicated what you were doing and what was going on inside your benevolent mind, then uh, no, that would be absolutely fine. But what they would want you to do as a benevolent uh, owner, I was going to say a benevolent dictator, uh, as a benevolent owner would be to uh, ask questions of your employees, find out their opinions, find out what they valued, and hopefully, being benevolent, that would be something that you'd be inclined to uh, do. So, you know, it's B Corp is not just for companies that are employee-owned, for example, although B Corp see that having businesses that have a degree of employee ownership is a positive thing and is a good thing and something to be considered. But just because you're not employee-owned, you know, you might be owned by the single founder who set the business up five years ago. That's okay, as long as that owner is an owner who wants to use the business as a force for good and engage with the workers and, and other stakeholders, then that's absolutely fine. So we've got governance. The second section is workers. Interesting they use the word workers rather than employees. Does it, is, is it a broader net they're trying to cast there? Yeah, I don't know if that, the technical difference between a worker and an employee or you're familiar with. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It is a broader net than just an employee. So it does look at your employees, but it will also look at, you know, part-time workers, uh, outsourced workers, you know, a whole range of different uh, elements that might be in there. Uh, so it's not just full-time employees. There's a there's a range of different uh, type of worker, and and what B Corp want to be saying as they're going through that is they don't really want to be spotting what you and I would see as a as a two-tier system. So those that are full-time employees get all of these amazing benefits, and those that are part-time get much fewer or no benefits at all. That wouldn't be deemed to be uh, a good a good space as far as B Corp is concerned. But that's complicated from employment tax point of view because the more benefits you give them, the more likely they are an employee, and that's expensive for a company. It now needs pensions, social security. It's like if you invite them to the parties or do whatever. So that's an interesting conundrum there. You, they in a way, it's pushing you to make everyone an employee. Then, in a way. Potentially, that is the case. And as you're going through the impact assessment, there are various different questions that have definitely got financial implications. And 
And I think that's the interesting thing is it makes you actually put those discussions and considerations on the table for actually looking at, and you may not have even gone through and considered those things previously. You know, you end up where you end up. But by going through the impact assessment, you actually press the pause key and have a bit of a look at some of those things. I'm actually pro them becoming employees, weirdly. As an advisor, so often you're sitting there and it's like, this is employment. This is, you know, it's like, look, it's, it's not quite. And yeah, I know you're saving money, but the, the, if it's a subcontractor in the UK, they get addicted to being a subcontractor because they have a little limited company and they're doing their dividends and that's what they want to do. And you, you often it's the person saying, Oh no, 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 I don't want to change from how this operates. And, I don't know, it just doesn't kind of make sense. It just starts to be like, I don't know. Well, just because it's cheap, it doesn't make it good, really. And quite often it's the entire opposite of that. Yeah, it's really complicated employment because sometimes it really isn't employment. And you look at it and you say, subcontractor, you know, and that's often the case, you know, and it's very But it's also often the case that you get somebody who's working four days a week for one business, doesn't really do anything else, and is a... Uh, you're told is a contractor and you know damn well they're not. Well, in, in, in Australia, they do an 80-20 rule and we make it much more complicated here, really. But yeah, I would agree. once you, exactly that question, once you're, once you're employing, inverted commas, someone four days a week, you just start to say, well, probably what the B Court's thinking, shouldn't I be looking after this person doing development meetings? Like, shouldn't they come to the Christmas party, you know? So B Court, when you're going through the impact assessment, but B Corp deem anyone who's working more than 20 hours a week or more than six months that you would then treat them as an employee, even though contractually they might not be. From a B Corp perspective, they'd be considered to be an employee and would want to be seen to be treated in a similar way. So that's if they're working more than 20 hours a week and they've done that for more than six months. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. And this week, a big shout out to Sean Veer Singh, who has recorded our stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music. Now back to the chat. Okay, so we've got governance, we've got workers. Workers, yeah. The third section is then community. So it looks at what you're doing in your community. Now, that community might be where the office is based or where the factory is based in your actual physical location community and what you're doing to try and uplift that community. You're obviously bringing employment to that community, but also you might be investing in that community. You might be doing charity work physically in that community. But also within your community, that is in B Corp terms, where your suppliers because your suppliers are deemed to be part of your community. So there are uh, conversations and surveys and engagements that you would do with your supply chain. Uh, And you'd also be looking at things like charity work, uh, charitable donations, and what you're doing in the community, any pro bono work. That would all come uh, out out within the community uh, section. 
Um, the community one is is really interesting because now we're all remote working and does and decentralized organizations. It's, you wonder what quite happens to the whole sort of sense of community, you know? I mean, I guess, does this just try and make you think about that question in a in, in quite a, a holistic way, I guess, the definition of community? Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, and, and the workforce has definitely changed over the last uh, couple of years. You know, it's, it's far less office-centric and is now decentralized, as, as you alluded to. Um, but what impact you're having within that community? So, uh, you know, 10 employees living in 10 different cities could nevertheless still have an impact within those 10 cities. So they're still impacting their community uh, just because they're not all at the HQ impacting the HQ community doesn't really matter. People are interested in what you and your team are doing to uh, impact your local community. Um, so, so, yeah, I would say that it's ambivalent in terms of whether those people are remote workers or not. I've always, just on the community thing, I've sort of, I've, I've had a question for quite a while. I think actually, Andy, you might have given me Andy's email address and I still haven't emailed you, about whether it's easier to be, to kind of achieve the B Corp status if you are, for example, you know, creating an app online because you, you know, you don't have to worry about product and packaging and and being sustainable and all those kind of things and you've just got oh, kind if you of don't 10, do manufacturing you basically. know you've got 10 employees yeah. all in their own homes you haven't got an office you know you haven't got a kind of footprint particularly i'm now wondering whether actually it's harder because there aren't so many things that you can impact yeah it's a good question so the b impact assessment is a dynamic and relatively intelligent tool in as much as there are a number of different tracks, and depending on which track you select, that will then bring up appropriate questions that are pertinent to you. So one track is the service sector, you know, your app developer type uh, organization, digital media, recruiters, accountants, so on and so forth. The next track, which gets a few extra questions in there, is the retail and wholesale track. Then you've got the manufacturing track. And then you've got the agricultural track. And obviously the agricultural track is a whole load of extra environmental questions that, that the others don't. So depending on which track you select, um, are you working in a developed market or an undeveloped market? How many employees have you got? These things will all impact on the actual range of questions that you're going to be uh, selected for. Is it evolving, B Corps? Like, they didn't just sit there and say, right, that's what a good company is. Roll it out, lads. They, 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 it must be developing as a concept. Yeah, every three years, there's a new B Impact assessment that comes out, a new version. So at the moment, we're running on version six. And that replicates everything, or it's like accounting standards. So they just release a new standard. They find something else to tweak specifically. Yeah, it's kind of like that. So I guess, you know, Five, six, seven years ago, let's just say, you know, the green agenda, the environmental agenda was already fairly well and alive and kicking, albeit not, not perfect. But things like diversity and inclusion, gender balance, you know, Black Lives Matters, those sorts of things were not so much on the radar five or six years ago compared with today. So by uh, bringing out new releases every few years, B Corp is able to uh, keep up to date with what current uh, thinking and trends and standards are going to be. 
And it also means that as a B Corp, you're kept on your toes because you'll recertify every three years. So it's not you certify once and then you've got B Corp for life. Uh, you'll recertify every three years. And so when you recertify, you'll be answering a slightly different set of questions than three years previously. And that will keep you on your toes and keep you uh, in, improving. Oh, that sounds quite daunting in a way. I mean, that could be um, that could be really interesting. They could release something that you just is, is you know has it hasn't evolved yet as a subject. I mean, you mentioned some pretty complicated subjects there in terms of exactly how you make what decisions. Yeah, that's mad. Okay. So we went off on slight tangent, but we'd got to number three out of five. What are the other two? So uh, section four is the environment. So that pretty much says what it does on the team in terms of the impact that you're having as a business and also the impact that your supply chain is having as a business. Uh, So it looks at a whole range of different things from CO2 and carbon footprinting, not just of the office, but potentially of your employees working from home. It looks at uh, water management and energy uh, management. B Corp is interested in what your overall metrics are, but more so it's in, it's interested in what you're then doing. You know, what what not just what is your CO2 footprint, it might be a hundred tons or a thousand tons a year. What B Corp's then interested in is what is your carbon reduction plan? What are you doing about it? How are you targeting the reductions that you're trying to make and what measures are you going to put in place to try and get there? So that's all covered on the environmental section. And the last but not least section is the customer section. So it looks at how are you having a positive impact on your customers? Is the service or product that you're providing uh, having a positive benefit on on your customers and the planet on which you live? So there's you know and, and there's a, there's a whole bunch of different uh, metrics that you'll look at in there. And you're right, you you need to be trying to deliver a good product in a good way and if the product that you're uh, delivering is not healthy then um it needs to it needs to be called out and it needs to be called out in in, in quite a uh, you know quite a strong way so there is actually a sixth section on the b impact assessment that is a uh, good partying i hope yeah no it's all those neg- negative screening uh questions so it's asking do you do you work with missile manufacturers or petrobomb or you know there's a whole range there's about 50 different organizations or or sectors and that's not to say that if you're working with one of those sectors you cannot be b corp but if you know two percent of your turnover is done with the petrochem industry and you're a you know a marketing company that doesn't mean that you then can't become b corp but b corp would want you to be transparent about what what percentage of your turnover is done in those different sectors. So if your business is 99% with a missile manufacturer, then probably B Corp is not for you. So probably if you're, you know, a cigarette manufacturer or something like that, you might as well not start the process. Well, uh, you absolutely would be right in saying that. Although I did have a conversation uh, about six months ago with a mining company who were doing mining in Africa. You know, you wouldn't think that that would be necessarily a good B Corp target, but what they were intending to do was go through the B Impact Assessment to see what good looks like for their workers and for the environment. And what they wanted to do 
was make sure that they had a plan in place, a costed plan to make sure that they repatriated the mining area to make it a, a, a facility and an environment that was better than when they originally took it over. It meant that the workers that they were employing at the mine had high levels of health and safety and were paid you know, good, good rates of pay. So you would say mining is bad, but if you're going to do mining, then is there a good way of doing it? Now, they weren't necessarily starting from a place of, can we become a B Corp? They were starting from a place of, can we use the B Corp framework, the B Impact Assessment, to make sure that we are doing the best we can for our workers and for the planet? And, and I, you know, endorse that and think that that's a, a, gr- a great thing to do that. And I actually asked you a question. I don't know if you ever read because we're we're an old school partnership. And I was like, can we do it? Is it like, does it matter? Yeah, the answer is an an, an LLP can do it. Yeah, because I think yeah. the clue is incorporation, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So an LLP, uh, CIC, community interest companies mm-hmm. can, limited companies can. Ultimately, it's really again. I would have thought CICs would do really well. No. So no, not, not a charity. There's other there's other tools that are appropriate for charities, but in theory, by definition, we're we're aiming at businesses that are not necessarily always a force for good and trying to encourage them to To be honest, you need like the C Corp to assess charities to to do the opposite to them, to like make them run them properly, because not to knock charities, but I think it's well understood that there are an awful lot of very badly inefficiently run charities because they're just not run like businesses with that sort of level of rigor. Exactly right. So, I mean, to a certain extent, you've got the Charities Commission that does the audit piece, but there's other frameworks like Social Value UK that charities would use to be able to then come out and say, for every £1,000 worth of donation put in at the front end, we deliver £3,000 worth of value at the back end. So there are other frameworks that would be more appropriate for charities to use uh, as opposed to B Corp. I mean, I did a, I was doing an event a few weeks ago and did a fireside chat with a guy who was becoming a B Corp and in the process, he'd, he'd gone through most of it and he, I think they were in the final stages. He was a corporate finance house and I thought that was pretty impressive because as far as I can tell, corporate finance just want to make money, right? Well, I some corporate finance, and I've 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 met a few, which is you get all like emotional in the meeting when they're like, "Look, we've got tons of fucking money. We want to change the world. We want to make it a better world." And you do occasionally meet that, and you're like, "We're only interested in it if it's going to change the world." Okay, next meeting, you know, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. our that's our criteria. But yeah, for well, sure. And on, and on that, Andy, you know, witness to that, Coots have recently become B Corp, and Nat West as well, which are they're related companies, aren't they? NatWest is not yet B Corp. I suspect they are on their journey, but yeah. Coots, that RBS group, are, are are currently B Corp. So that's interesting because they're a bank. They're just there to make. My, I mean, a bank is a better example than the corporate financer. Yeah. or something that's yeah. just a money machine. But you know, listening to the Coots story and their, you know, their reason for doing that is because they have got as their clients a whole bunch of ultra-high net worth individuals and businesses in them. And those people want to be banking with a bank that is doing, you know, good stuff in the world. And they want to have a way of measuring that. And so Coots going through B Corp was a natural progression for them to do that. And Coots are now having 
you know, a tremendous impact, not just with their clients, but through the NatWest RBS uh, world in terms of helping businesses go through NatWest Accelerator, but also, you know, looking at B Corp and considering B Corp as part of that journey. Yeah, this is a stupid question, but B Corp itself is a corporation that's a B Corp, obviously. So B Corp is looked after by B Lab, uh, and B Lab are a not-for-profit. Okay. So they are the keeper of the keys, effectively, that keep everyone on track. They are responsible for the global standards and, uh, you know, um, marketing and promotion and governance and all of those kinds of things. So B B Lab run B Corp. When you become a B Corp, you will then be connected into the B Hive. You will then be connected into a B Local, which is your local meetup of uh, local B Corps. Is there a B Piss Society? No. No, there's not yet. What does, <laughs> the, does the B stand for something? Uh, benefit is what it stands for. Yeah, it's a benefit corporation. And, um, and I'm a B leader. Yeah, it's it's um, oh, there's a there's a hip hop song in there somewhere. Uh, it's great to talk it out. I think I have a much clearer idea. I think the problem with these things is always that guilt feeling, like oh well, we're a B corporal. And it's like, well, should we be a B corp? I think I think what's clearer is, yeah, you know, certainly if you want the certification, yes, um, do it. If you are a force for good, if you're already like, you know, that's that's your thing. If you're not, maybe you can just do it as a way of giving you some sense which way is up or which way an organization believes is up, because some of those decisions are infinitely complicated. I mean, if I don't want to do it and I don't want to be certified, how much does that cost? Or I just want to like understand it. Well, uh, the, the B Impact Assessment is a free, free-to-use tool available online. So anyone could do that. And then businesses might use someone like me to help you know, translate or be a, a bit of a guide through the forest of the questionnaire but you don't have to become B Corp. So there's uh, approximately 4,000 B Corps globally, but over 50,000 have gone through the impact assessment. So a lot of businesses do use it purely as a self-reflective tool. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of BWB Extra. Thank you to Andy Hawkins for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, follow us on Spotify, and come say hi on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at bizwithoutbs. Until next time, it's goodbye.